31. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes, and if any spot has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat, and let what grows for me be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed toward a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down on her. For that would be a heinous crime. That would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as a baton, and it would burn to the root all my increase. If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? If I have withheld anything that the poor desired, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless has not eaten of it. For from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me, and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, because I saw my help in the gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder, and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God, and I could not have faced his majesty. If I have made gold my trust, or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had found much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to God above. If I have rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me, or exulted when evil overtook him, I have not let my mouth sin by asking for his life with a curse. If the men of my tent have not said, who is there that has not been filled with his meat? The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. If I have concealed my transgressions as others do by hiding my iniquity in my heart, because I stood in great fear of the multitude and the contempt of families terrified me so that I kept silence and did not go outdoors. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. If my land has cried out against me, and its furrows have wept together, if I have eaten its yield without payment, and made its owners breathe their last. Let thorns grow instead of wheat, and foul weeds 
instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have come to Job's third and final speech. And this is his final appeal to God. This is his final appeal of innocence. Throughout the book, he has been appealing to his friends that he is innocent of all of their false accusations that he was suffering because of sin. And he has been appealing to God that he has been punishing an innocent man. Now, when you first read this chapter, you may have one of two reactions. You either relate to what Job says, or you're saying to yourself, He sounds a little self-righteous here. Pastors and scholars who have studied this over the years are all over the place when it comes to interpretation. Some side with Job, while others conclude that he is being a bit self-righteous. So which is it? Yes. I think it is a little bit of both, as we shall see. Throughout the book... He gets some things right and some things wrong. And here he begins with a covenant. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Now, unlike many of the covenants in the Bible where God uh, comes to man and makes a covenant with man, this is a covenant that Job made with himself. It is a pledge or a promise. He, he promised to keep a clear conscience before God. Much like when Paul said, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So in many ways, this text addresses the character formation of the Christian disciple. And what we'll see throughout this chapter is that Job wants to present his appeal of innocence by denying private sins, public sins, concealed sins against God and man, and finally, as he does throughout the text, he leaves it to the Lord to decide whether or not he will receive covenant blessing or covenant curses for his conduct. So first, he denies private sins or the sins of the heart. He made a covenant with his eyes not to lust. Why? In certain places in God's word, sexual sins go hand in hand with idolatry. And it is not just true for men, it is true for women as well. Think of King Solomon and how the lust for his 700 wives and 300 concubines. This went hand in hand with worshiping their idols. See, Job knew that even for lust, he would be answerable to God, and that God's law is not just physical, but it is also spiritual. It begins within. It begins in the heart. He is not concerned with just outward morality here. He addresses the issue of desire. This is what it means to gaze. I know when we read this text, many of you who are familiar with this app called Covenant Eyes, it is an app that is used to help Christians avoid looking at pornographic material online. But that only 
helps with one part of the problem. See, your eyes either feed or follow your desires. And covenant eyes only helps with the feeding part. If you have a desire to lust, no filter on the internet is going to stop you from lusting. See, this is what it means to have lustful intent for a woman. He is not just talking about looking at a woman and uh, rejoicing over God's creation and his beauty. Uh, the beauty that he has provided in a woman. He is talking about lustful intent. See, it begins within. This is why Jesus said that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Job asks, if I have private sins that I am keeping in my heart, what would be my portion from God above? What will be my heritage from the Almighty on high? Answer, calamity would be his portion and disaster would be his heritage. And he would have deserved it because he would have been guilty of iniquity. He would have deserved all that has happened to him so far. So he asks, does not he see my ways and number my steps? He knows that God sees all that he does, says, and thinks. He knows not only his actions, but his motives behind his actions. He keeps track of where he goes and what direction his steps are heading in. He knows his future. So he knows that he is blameless and righteous. What he is on the outside, morally speaking, is just reflective of what he is on the inside. And if God knows all this, then why is he suffering like someone who is guilty of iniquity? That is his question. So he denies lust. Also, he denies deceitfulness. Since God sees his ways and numbers all his steps, that he would know that he has not walked with falsehood and his foot has not been quick to deceive others. And this is where Job issues his first challenge to God. Let me be weighed in a just balance, which would mean that God's balance or God's scales are unjust. And let God know my integrity, he says. He believes the scales of justice have been tipped against him, and he has been judged unjustly by God. So he longs to stand before him and prove his innocence, as if God didn't already know. Also, he denies covetousness and describes the judgment that he deserves if, the key word is, if he is found guilty. Now notice how he says, if my heart has gone after my eyes. As we have established, your heart is either filled with lust or it is being fed and deceived by the eyes. John warns us about the desires of the eyes because this is how Eve was deceived. When she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, the heart and desires followed. That is the starting point that would lead his step to turn aside from the way of God and his hands to be blemished with spots of iniquity and sin as when you steal from someone. Then he says, if this is true, then you can send covenant curses upon my land. 
He says, then let me sow and another eat and let what grows from me be rooted out. See, the majority of the early readers of this text would have been the Israelites. And they would have been familiar with this language. It is similar to the covenant blessings and curses found in Deuteronomy 28 when the Lord told Israel in some, if you obey my voice, there will be blessing. If you don't obey my voice, there will be curses. In fact, one of the curses was, you shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. And the ironic thing that you will notice is in every point, these so-called curses that he will describe have already come down on Job in chapters 1 and 2. And Job is asking, why? I am innocent. I deserve those covenant blessings. Secondly, he denies public sins, which are adultery, sins against inferiors or servants, and sins against the poor and defenseless. He denies going after his eyes and the desires of his heart. If my heart has been enticed toward a woman who is not his wife, and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, waiting for him to leave so he could sneak around with his wife, he says, let what I have done to my neighbor be done to me, but worse. He says, then let my wife grind for another. Grinding is another way of speaking about domestic duties, such as grinding grain and spices for cooking. Let her care for someone else's home. And he says, let others bow down on her. We don't need to get into the details about what this means, but basically he is saying, let other men, plural, share in the intimacy that was once reserved for Job alone. Uh, imagine the pain this would cause Job. But the punishment fits the crime. Job's conviction is that adultery is a grievous sin. It is a crime so heinous that it deserves to be brought to court and punished by judges. The author of Hebrews warns that God will bring judgment on the adulteress in Hebrews chapter 13. It is so grievous that the punishment would open the gates of hell, so to speak. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as Abaddon or Apollyon, the angel of the bottomless pit. And it would burn all that Job had. And since he is innocent, he would not expect this to happen to him. But guess what? According to Job, this has already happened to him. Remember in chapter 1, verse 16, when the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up his sheep and servants. And he's asking why? I'm innocent. Also, he denies sins against his inferiors or servants. He denies being unjust to them when they brought up a complaint against him. He sought to correct his wrongs. We've probably all dealt with a boss who had a power trip or who used his authority against us. But listen to Paul and Paul's reasoning in Ephesians chapter 6. He speaks to masters of servants. He says, masters, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, meaning he sees everything that you do and that there is no partiality with him. 
And this is the direction that Job goes in. Because if Job is guilty, he asks, what shall I do when God rises up in judgment from his judgment seat? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? I I wouldn't be able to speak to this issue. Because didn't God make us both? Isn't he our creator? Aren't we both made in the image of God? Listen to Proverbs chapter 22. The rich and the poor. The Lord is the maker of them all. Master and servant both come from the womb of a woman. And just because you're a boss, there is still a higher boss above you whom you will have to answer to. Also, he denies sins against the poor and defenseless, both sins of omission and commission. He denies the sins of omission, meaning he never neglected their needs. He never withheld anything that they needed to survive, such as food and clothing. He sought to be generous. He remembers that since he was young, he had orphans around him. And if he had food on his table, he never turned them away. He also sought to help and guide the widow. He didn't just watch as the needy went without clothing and die from exposure. He raised sheep and he used the wool to not only clothe himself and his family, but also to clothe those in need. Also, he denies sins of commission. Like raising his hand in judgment to condemn orphans unjustly because he saw his help in the gate. The gate was located in the town square where men of influence would meet. Remember, he was a a judge, a man of power who had connections and he was not intimidated by his powerful friends to do what was unjust. And if he is guilty of raising his hand unjustly against the fatherless, then he says... Let my shoulder blade, which holds up the arm and hand that I raise against them, fall from my shoulder and let my arm, which symbolizes his strength, be broken from its socket. But he knows that he is innocent. And the reason why he did not sin against the weak and helpless, he says, for I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced his majesty. He could not have faced it. If God was to rise up and raise his hand of judgment against him. Because Job knew just as we should know. That even with all of our riches and blessings. That he too. And we are also still very poor and needy. But again he has already been enduring. The terror of God and his majesty. And he has already faced calamity. Which he says is from God. But why? He says I'm innocent. Thirdly. He denies concealed sins against God. His enemies. Strangers. And then hiding from God. He denies making his gold. His trust and confidence. God has been his trust and confidence. He has not rejoiced over his riches. For his riches sake. But he has rejoiced in the God who provides all things for him. Also, he denies the practice of idolatry. He denies the worship of the sun and moon. This is what it means to look at the sun here. It is to worship the sun. One of the earliest forms of idolatry in the world was the worship of the sun. Religions all over the world have worshipped the sun and the moon. It was Practiced in Babylon, in Egypt, 
in Rome, and there are traces of it today in Islam and even in Hinduism. You ever notice the Hindu symbol of the sun is a reversed swastika, right, for the Nazis. False versions of Christianity have also taught that the sun god is the god of the Bible. Obviously, they're ignoring very important texts, such as this one, and where it says when we are in the New Jerusalem, the city will have no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God, which surpasses the glory of the sun, gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. There, we won't need a sun or moon. The sun in the sky is a creation of God and will evaporate one day. Job says, my heart has not been secretly enticed to worship and make false idols out of God's creation and his mouth has not kissed his hand. This is like blowing a kiss to the sun in an act of worship. If he was guilty of this idolatry, then he would deserve to be punished by the judges because he would have been false to the God above. Also, he denies rejoicing over the downfall of his enemies. He never cursed them. He loved them as Jesus would later teach his disciples to love their enemies. He didn't have selfish delight in their demise. We know and we pray that God would one day judge his enemies, but it is always thy kingdom come and thy will be done, not my kingdom come and my will be done to my enemies. So it is not to withhold the grace of God from our enemies. Listen to Proverbs 24. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased. And turn away his anger from him. Also, he didn't lack in hospitality to strangers or sojourners. In the East, hospitality was not an option as it is in the West. In the West, we are a much more private people, sometimes for good reason. So I'm not saying there's never a reason to turn someone away, uh, maybe for the sake of safety. But in the East, hospitality is required. In fact, later this would be required of God's law in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. So Job is saying, when strangers passed through Job's neck of the woods, they were given a place to set up their tent on his property. The strangers didn't have to be exposed to the dangers of setting up their tent on the streets. Job's doors were always open to them. And no one would have to ask, did everyone get something to eat? Also, he denies concealing sins as others do. Now, there's another translation that I favor because Job hints at it throughout the text. And the other translation says, if I have concealed my transgressions as Adam did. And from Adam, this has been the pattern of humanity. When we sin, we try to hide it from God as if he doesn't see everything. But this text also hints and points to a, a better covenant than that of Adam. Where God's people wouldn't have to hide their sins. But they would confess their sins 
and they would be forgiven through a sacrifice offered to God. Because Job is not saying that he is sinless. In fact, he is saying the exact opposite. He is saying he doesn't hide his sins as if he was afraid of being exposed either before God or in front of the multitude or the congregation. He didn't fear the scrutiny of society or the church. When he confessed his sin, he didn't feel the great fear of the gossip corner. You can hear them saying, did you hear what he did? He didn't fear those who would now look down on him for his mistakes to the point where he didn't even leave his house. No, he confessed his sin both to God and to his people when necessary because he knew that he was in God's favor and that there is forgiveness through the sacrifices he made to God. His heart was clean and his conscience was clear. This is one of the benefits of being under the covenant of grace. And it would all be fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so, for us, this congregation of Jesus Christ should not be a place of contempt for sinners, but a place where sinners come to confess their sins and be received into the fold where we live a new life in Christ together. And if all this is true of Job, then why was Job suffering? This is the question that Job had for God, so he challenges him again. The creature calls out the creator. Probably thinking, what audacity. Oh, that I had one to hear me. It sounds like he is losing his patience. He says, here is my signature. Here is my seal. Uh, Like when you have a signet ring and you seal a document or contract with melted wax. I see it in the movies all the time. It's pretty cool. He is saying, I have fulfilled the terms of my covenant, and here it is. But where is God? Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. He calls God his adversary. That's not a good thing. He wants evidence from God, his so-called adversary, that he is guilty and deserving of punishment. And if he can prove that he is guilty, he says he'll carry his indictment on his shoulders with pride and wear it around like a crown on his head. But he is confident that he is innocent. He is confident that he can give him an account of all of his steps, all of his ways, and like a prince, he would be free to approach God's throne. This sounds like a little bit of arrogance here, doesn't it? Which one of us can honestly say that we would strut our stuff right up to God as if we were princes? But at the same time, I believe this foreshadows one who indeed bore the marks of suffering, marks he didn't deserve. And later he would present his marks before the throne of God And the creatures surrounding God's throne would bow down to worship this lamb who was slain. This picture is given to us in Revelation chapter 5. 
And he would be vindicated and declared the son of God. As you know, I I love the Chronicles of Narnia, especially uh, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Uh, This reminds me of when Aslan, he is the lion, uh, the Jesus figure, who was killed unjustly at the hands of the white witch. But as the sun rose, he appeared alive, standing above the broken stone table where he was killed. And he goes on to explain to Susan and Lucy that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. There would be vindication for him and salvation for the traitor, for us. Fourthly and lastly, he leaves it up to God, the God of heaven and earth, to judge whether or not he deserved covenant blessing or covenant cursing. The wording is not placed here randomly. He has already mentioned that he did not hide his sin like Adam, and now he is saying to the Lord, if I am guilty... If my land has cried out against me, then curse the land the way you did with Adam. When you told him the ground shall be cursed and in pain, he would eat of it and it shall bring forth thorns and thistles all mixed in. Let thorns grow instead of wheat and foul weeds instead of barley. And later again, similar curses were promised to Israel if they did not obey the voice of the Lord. This curse is a testimony to the fact that man has not kept this covenant. And truthfully, only one man would keep this covenant. But Job claims that he did. And yet his land is already cursed. Why? Why? So what do we make of Job? What will be our final analysis of Job in the end? First, we must conclude he is a type of one who was to come. Because there is only one who fulfilled all of what Job says here perfectly. There is only one who was completely pure from the inside out. Who loved God and man perfectly. There is only one who would completely and could completely deny Private sins, public sins, and concealed sins. And the difference is, he never had to confess sin because he had no sin. And yet, he would receive covenant curses. Far worse than Job describes here. Yes, he would be stripped of everything, but far worse than that, he would be forsaken by his father. There is nothing worse than being forsaken by God and considered a curse. But why? Why did he become a curse? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became a curse for all of us who look at this text and could not repeat Job's words with a clear conscience before God. He became a curse so that we would not be cursed for not fulfilling all that is required in God's law. All of what Job says here. Which one of us could stand before him without reservation 
and say, I am innocent of all these things. I am innocent of private, public, and concealed sins. Would you pray the prayer of the Pharisee? I'm not like other people. Or would you pray the prayer of the tax collector? God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Secondly, I would say, Job was a chosen servant of God. He was a child of God, yet he was flawed like all of God's children. He was a saint and a sinner at the same time. He, like all of us, can get things wrong at times. Because although Job was right in that he was not suffering because of his sin, but he was wrong in the way he justified himself while questioning and challenging God. Much like his friends, he had the character of God mistaken. He believed that God was unjust in punishing him, all because he didn't understand what was going on to him. He misunderstood his suffering and the purpose of it. Because the truth that Job wasn't fully aware of was that God was not punishing him. Actually, he was using him as a servant to defeat the claims of Satan, though imperfectly. And later, he would receive a greater reward. So he was not suffering because he sinned. He sinned because he was suffering. His suffering led him to question the good character of God and his ways. It led him to challenge God. So was he being self-righteous here? No and yes. I know that's frustrating, but that's probably the best you're going to get on this side of heaven from anyone. Because although Job was flawed, it did not change his status as a child of God. So what this text teaches us about Job as a flawed believer is the doctrine that we are justified by faith alone. He will stand before God. He will be rebuked by God. But also, he will stand justified by God, not by his works. God will once again declare him as his servant. In chapter 42, verse 7. But also thirdly, Job lays out a blueprint for the Christian life. We are called to repent of private sins, of public sins, adultery, sins against inferiors and superiors, spouses, sins against our children, sins against our congregations, Sins against strangers, sins against the weak and defenseless, the poor and the needy, hatred toward our enemy, and idolatry. And he begins from the inside out. But also as Christians, we are to recognize and confess that we have not met the standard of God. We have fallen short at every point. And we are to know and to trust, as we will be reminded this morning in the Lord's Supper, that through the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we have been cleansed and cleared of all charges of guilt so that we would not fear to approach the throne of His grace. Because we stand here right now justified by Him, by what He has done on the cross. 
And to end this chapter, it says, the words of Job are ended. And now, Lord willing, next time we will hear from another speaker who will respond to Job and his friends. Amen.